from 1 Peter, the 5th chapter, verse 6 and 7. So it just might be, Brother Gemeinder, that, <clears throat> that my preaching's in the will of the Lord and the choir not singing's in the will of the Lord. Because, listen to this, 1 Peter 5, verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him. He cares. See? That's what they sung. For he careth for you. Casting all your care upon him. For he careth for you. I've been in this real different mood for about a month. I just can't seem to snap out of it. I don't really know what's wrong with me or what's right with me. But I've been in deep thought, given a lot of thought to my life. And to the things that I have not been able to do for God that I like to do for Him. You have periods of time which, <coughs> pardon me, it's necessary to search your life and also the mind of God relative to the uh, ministry that He has given to you. I want to be productive, I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to be a better pastor. I have miserably failed at times as a pastor. Just miserably failed. And I think this message right here, along with uh, one other message that I preached for sure, came about as a result of the deep thought that I've been in. Uh, <clears throat> Brother Steve Dahl came up to me right at the start of service today and said, Brother, Brother Grant, would you pray for me and we were just getting ready to start, and I said, well, wait till we start, and then we'll anoint you. He said, I'm just sick. He uh, went and sat down, and, of course, we didn't get started right on time. I went downstairs to find out what was wrong. Came back up here, and after service, I thought about praying for him. Just to, you know, Christmas program, a lot of pressure on the pastor, you know. You wouldn't think so, would you? But you want everything just to be so good, and you want to make a good impression upon all the guests who are here. And I would like to say thank all, thank you to the teachers and all of you who participate in our program for putting it together. It's it's a lot of work, but it does mean a lot to the parents and then of course to the children also to be able to participate. But I just. Plain forgot about praying for Brother Steve. And I went to find him. He was already gone. Tried to call his house. He wasn't there. I contacted him this afternoon. And I just felt so embarrassed. I mean, here's a brother who was sick. And you just failed to even think about it that he's sick. You know, and I, I'd like to say that, that I am a pastor that doesn't make mistakes. But that's not true. I'd be the first one to tell you. I make a lot of mistakes. But you keep praying for me. And I'll keep praying for you. And one of these days a trumpet will definitely sound. 
and by God's grace, we'll be caught up to meet him. Praise God. <clears throat> believe it just might be a little sooner than what we think. World conditions are so ripe. This situation over in, in Lebanon, Beirut, it could just, it, it's so explosive. It's like that the leaders of our world are just walking on eggshells, wondering when will they break. They showed on television recently a movie entitled The Day After. Now, I don't know where I'm going to be the day after. I think that had to do with bombs falling. I have not seen that. But uh, my big concern is the day after the day after. I want to be in the in the presence of God. Let's just pray. Thank you, God, for a beautiful service tonight, for a sweeping move of your Holy Spirit. I trust and pray, God, that you'd be with us, Lord, always, even to the end of the world. God, I love you. And I worship you, God, and I praise you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. In Jesus' name we pray, in Jesus' name. All right, you may be seated. <clears throat> From verse 7, the Bible says, casting all your care upon him. I like to deal with this word casting. Because I think that this particular word perhaps would hold the key to unlocking the knowledge that God would want you to receive in the message. Casting. It literally means to forcefully hurl or throw. Like a man would throw a rock. Or we could say in our present vernacular, like a baseball pitcher would pitch a baseball. Now, it's been a long time since I've thrown a baseball. We threw softball this year. But uh, that slow pitch stuff is not what I'm talking about. Because that's not a forceful hurl. When we play uh, slow pitch, we have to put so much arc in the pitch. But to forcefully hurl it, the baseball pitcher winds up, picks one leg up, and he comes across, he takes his whole body and puts it into that pitch. I am told that some of the major league pitchers can pitch up to 100 miles an hour. Well, that's kind of an exception. Uh, not too many of them can do that, but some of them can. I'm also told that if a pitcher can pitch 90 miles an hour or faster, he has a good chance of having a winning record. And that's exactly what this scripture is saying, casting your cares upon him. It doesn't just mean laying them out before God and saying, here they are. But it literally means to take them 
and hurl them at the cross. Here they are. Get them away from me. Put them upon him. Here he is. Now, to humble yourself, that's a different situation altogether. That simply means you just bow before God. But you take and literally cast your cares upon him. Now, going on into the scripture, <coughs> casting your care upon him, for he careth <coughs> for you. Now, the opposite of this would be a person who does not have the ability to expel his cares from himself. In other words, he holds his cares. The uh, modern term of that would be he bottles up everything inside of him. Have you seen people bottle up everything inside of them? It's locked up and you can't get it out of them. (coughs) I have three boys and it's amazing to me that in the same atmosphere, the same home, how that each individual has their own personality. Now my oldest son, John, is a person that is, it's very difficult to get things out of him. He bottles up everything. Holds it in. You can sit and talk to him for hours and you think you know exactly what he's thinking and you find out, no, that's not right at all. Now, my son Roy, on the other hand, is a type can just just calmly just tell you what, what's bothering him. Now, Steve always tells you, but not so calmly. You know? So... <clears throat> Bottling up tears is the subject that I want to speak to you about tonight. Bottling up tears. You know, there are a lot of people that would avoid a lot of emotional strain and stress if they could just find a place to kneel and pray and literally hurl their cares at the cross. Let those tears flow out. Now in our modern world, it's almost a disgrace for a grown person to cry. I remember back in 1963 when John F. Kennedy was assassinated, his wife stood by his graveside and did not shed a tear. And... She was honored very much because it is considered to be an act of bravery to be able to go to your husband's grave and not cry. While the world honored her for her courage and her ability to withstand tears, I cried over the fact that she couldn't cry. I mean, I literally did. I remember when it happened. And I remember when I heard it. And I remember that one senator who was the Senate Majority Leader, and I'm not for sure who it was, but he had requested that America pray for the Kennedy family. And I prayed specifically for her because she didn't cry. 
I think it's real abnormal to go through such a traumatic experience and not cry. And the reason why is because it is known that bottling up tears can many times cause bitterness to creep within us. That God put the tear ducts in the eyes for a far greater reason than to just lubricate the eyes, which is necessary. But they are somehow connected to the emotional structure and the fiber of your being. An emotion is a strong agitation of the mind. An evil thought, a thought of fondness, a thought of fear, a thought of joy. But not just a thought, a thought that grinds, a thought that tears. And when the grinding and the tearing takes place, the tear ducts begin to flow. And woe to the individual, man, woman, boy, girl, who can have the grinding inside, and yet he closes his tear ducts, and he cannot express himself emotionally. God put the tear ducts there for a purpose. Now, if you read through the Psalms, and then... Also, in other cases in the Bible, a good place would be in the book of Job, you will find that great men of God cried. They cried because of joy and happiness, but they cried also because of their failures in the presence of God. David was a man who cried many, many sorrows over the adulterous sin that he committed with Bathsheba. Cried a lot about that. He knew that he had lost out with the Lord. Job was a man who cried a lot because of his physical condition. He just had a lot of pain. You know, sometimes we who are well, it's so difficult to have compassion for people who are sick. And the reason why is because you can't, somehow always feel what they're feeling. Now, this may shock you, but I have prayed for a lot of people, and I have seen them healed right when I was sick myself. Now, I've always wondered, how can that be? But recently in prayer, when I was sick and was, I was asking God to heal me, and yet I'd prayed for two or three people who, who I know definitely were healed. As I began to ask God, how can this be? I'm not healed. I am sick, and yet I lay hands upon them and prayed, and they went away well. Now, how can this be? I wonder if it couldn't be that it's much easier to have compassion and feel for people when you are feeling just about what they're feeling. See? It seems to put you right in contact with their situation. 
Whereas sometimes while we are well, totally well, and nothing's bothering us, it's easy for us to lay hands upon people and not feel what they're feeling. And not be moved because you cannot transpose yourself in your mind into their particular condition. And I think sometimes that that uh, God allows certain things to happen to us just so that we can feel what other people feel. And we can see what other people see. Now, we back up one scripture from verse 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. To humble yourself simply means to submit yourself. It's written in one of the epistles that we should submit ourselves unto God. The Bible says, resist the devil, he will flee from you, draw nigh unto God, and he'll draw nigh unto you. The secret to resisting the devil is the submitting of yourself to God. When you submit yourself unto God and you gravitate toward God, you automatically resist the devil. So you don't just stand out and scream in the devil's ear to leave you alone. Because he won't do it. The secret is to gravitate, to move toward God. And as you move toward God, the presence of God and the powerful name of Jesus will put the devil in his place. None of us are a match for the devil. You just can't stand out someplace and say, Get thee behind me, Satan, simply because Jesus told us to do it that way. See, there's more to it than that. You've got to move in the direction of God. You've got to humble yourself, and you've got to submit yourself to God. Now, I'd like for you to turn with me to Psalm 69, verse 20, and we'll go through just a series of of scriptures here. There are so many scriptures in the Bible that deal with tears, that deal with submission. Psalm 69, verse 20. Reproach hath broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness. Now, I don't know if you've ever been full of heaviness before. Now, I'll just give you an example of some heaviness that that you go through. Now, this is kind of a lighthearted thing compared to some of the big problems that people go through. But I remember that the heaviest, one of the heaviest moments of my childhood life was when my dad had promised me one time that he'd take me fishing. I had an uncle who stopped in, and he stopped in just about time we were to leave. And he asked my dad, said, uh, my dad's name is Emery. He said, Emery, let's go fishing. I got everything ready. My dad said, well, we were just going fine. And I heard them talking, and uh, they said, well, should we take the boy? You know, I was just a little kid. And uh, my uncle, that happened to be my favorite uncle, he says, oh, he's just getting away. Let's leave him. Let's leave him home. And so I heard what they said. So my dad comes to me and said, son. How would you like for me to take you fishing next week? Now, that would have been a good idea, but I knew what was taking place, see. So uh, I said, Dad, I really wanted to go today. And uh, he said, well, he said, you know, uh, 
I doubt the fish are biting anyway and kind of be a waste of our time. And I said, but Dad, I really want to go with you. And I remember when I began to cry, puckered up and began to cry. And uh, I'll tell you, brokenheartedness is, is just as much physical as it is emotional. I mean, you can actually start hurting inside. You know, you cried to the point I couldn't cry anymore. I was catching my breath and I was hurting inside. And and uh, <clears throat> I remember when they got in the car and they drove away down the road and I stood there looking out the window because I had been ordered to go to my bedroom because of my action. But I was so broken hearted that I cried. I literally cried for hours. I just stretched myself upon the bed and I cried and I cried and I cried. I actually thought I was going to die. I thought, you know, in my little mind, I thought, now when Dad comes back, he's going to find I'm dead. I died of a broken heart. I actually died of a broken heart. Now, I just heard this past week, and I don't even remember what they compared it to, but uh, I just heard this past week somebody in the medical profession, I was in, in Milwaukee and and Racine, I ministered there, and then down in Freeport, Illinois. And I'm not for sure even now who told me this. But they said, do you know that more people die of brokenheartedness than they named off some major disease that we know of? And I was really, I said, surely not. Yes, that is absolutely correct. That a lot of people grieve themselves to death. They actually die because of their brokenheartedness. So the scripture is telling us here in Psalm 69, verse 20, Reproach hath broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness, and I look for some to take pity. But there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. And see what the scripture is saying. You look for somebody just to give you a little comfort, but nobody give you any comfort. It seemed like everybody that came along just pushed you down a little bit further. Now let's turn to Psalm 34. And let's read verse 17. Psalm 34 verse 17. The Bible says the righteous cry the Lord heareth. And delivereth them out of their trouble. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. And save such as be of a contrite spirit. Contrition is is something that God just can't seem to stand. Now, I know how, how this, this affects me emotionally. Uh, I've had times in, in which uh, I, I guess maybe I experienced so much hurt over that one particular time when I heard my dad and my uncle plotting to, to keep me home. And I just made up my mind that my boys would always go hunting and fishing with me if they wanted to. Well, I wouldn't make them if they wanted to. And I've told many grown people, many adults, nope, my sons and I are going together. And some people have, have been a little bit hurt about that. But uh, it seems like the contrition is something that, that just gets in the very heart of God and he can't stand it. When he sees somebody sobbing, when he somebody, sees somebody that's broken hearted, when he sees somebody 
that is indeed in trouble, God looks down and he immediately begins to take action. It's usually not a situation in which you have to wait very long. Now, God always answers just in time. And there are cases in which it seems that your patience is tried. God intentionally allows you to keep praying and keep praying and keep praying and keep praying. However, biblical examples will show us that when a person reaches the point where he is totally broken hearted and he is in deep uh, prayer and contrition comes upon him and he just totally submits himself. It seems like that, that God moves swifter in those moments than any other moments. It seems like it's, it, it's just something that God says. I've either got to shut my ear and, and forget that he even exists, or I've got to run to him and throw my arms around him and give him a quick, speedy answer. A quick, speedy answer. Now, if you uh, go to the story that's found in 1 Samuel dealing with Hannah, and we'll not have you turn there. We'll just go through that by memory. But you remember Hannah? Hannah was a great woman of God, but uh, she experienced something that that seemed to be quite uh, a dishonor and a reproach to to a normal uh, Israeli woman. She was not able to bear a child. Now, last Thursday evening in our service, we talked somewhat about this. It was a great honor to be able to give birth to a son, to pass your life down to somebody else. But uh, her, her husband, Elkanah, and herself, they were not able to uh, have a child. Now, year after year after year, the Bible says her adversaries came and they, they kind of poked fun at her. And I'm not for sure who her adversaries were, but evidently uh, women bringing their children by and showing off their children, and that's always a, uh, you know, such a, such a showpiece anyway. And it, it's just great to see a uh, husband and wife bring that baby by and look at our child. And everybody rejoices. I mean, everybody does except the person who cannot bear that child or a child. You see, that's, there's a connection there that is, that is so agitating. There's a connection there that is so uh, hurting. It, it's, it's, it's like the, uh, the time in which we pulled all of our Marines and soldiers out of Vietnam. I remember seeing on the, the front page of the paper... Final Marine leaves Vietnam. But then whenever I read the story of that, they did say, however, that three Marines were bombed as they were getting on the plane and they were leaving. Well, all the world was jumping up and down and screaming, and and we felt that uh, even though we didn't win a victory there, that it was a victory to a degree because nobody was giving their lives anymore. Well, three people did. But you see, three people out of all the many thousands that fought in Vietnam, that's not many. So 
You know, they were saying, oh, great, you know, the last 5,000 Marines leave. But uh, my mind was not upon the 5,000 that got out, but it was upon the families of the three. While great reunions were being held in 5,000 American homes, and probably the booze corks were popping, and... uh, uh, different uh, things were taking place, and bands were playing, and and great stories of uh, of the war and such were being heard, and there was hugs and kisses and laughter in five thousand homes. There were three homes where people had their heads bowed, and tears were streaming down their cheeks, and there was a broken heart. The reason why is because you see. There was a connection that most people missed. And so Hannah was the woman that really got the connection. And when all the babies were viewed and showed, you see, and everybody was laughing and congratulating. Hannah may have put her hand out and congratulated also. But you see, the difference was Hannah couldn't have her own child. And, and so year after year after year, she prayed about it, and she sought the Lord. But she just couldn't conceive. But all of a sudden, the pressure got too great for Hannah. And Hannah just made a little vow unto God. And what she did, she went and looked up the high priest, Eli. You see, she not only wanted a child, but she also understood the calamity of the household of Israel. The lowest spiritual ebb that you can find in the history of Israel is during the time of the Judges. While there are books that separate the book of Judges from the book of Samuel, we must also understand that, uh, that Samuel was born right at the latter part of the period of the Judges. Samuel was the man who anointed the first king, Saul, as the king of Israel, thus ending the era of the judges. Five hundred and something years had passed. And uh, when you read the book of Judges, it was a, it was a dismal, uh, sinful era of time in the household of Israel. And so... She, this was all in her mind. She knew all this. But she didn't have a son. And while she sought permission from the high priest to find an altar in which she could pray, as she began to pray, she wondered exactly how she could move God. And so as a result, she vowed a vow unto the Lord, knowing the need in the household of Israel, She said, now, if you will open my womb and allow me to conceive and allow me to bring forth a son, I will give that son in the house of God. I will give him to you, Lord. Now, she promised this because she didn't think she was going to have a son anyway. So she had really nothing to lose. And yet Israel had everything to gain. But she went on to... Uh, went on to say, and he shall be a Nazarite indeed. No razor shall ever touch his head. And of course the Nazarite vow was such a, a different vow. 
No razor was to ever touch his head. He was to be a type of the New Testament church. He could not touch any dead bodies or, or such. He could never drink any strong drink. Never. And so she began to, to pray. And as she began to pray, because her need was so great, she literally took that need and she hurled it at God. Like a pitcher would pitch that baseball. And here she was. She had made a vow. And after she had spoken that vow, she cast that at God and fell down, humbling herself before God. And she began to cry and she began to pray. She began to sob and weep and heave. In fact, she began to heave and weep to the point that she couldn't even talk. And when the high priest Eli came by, he saw Hannah upon her knees. And Hannah was weeping and sobbing. But she couldn't say a word. In other words, contrition had come away. Heaviness, a broken heart. But she didn't just bottle it all up inside. She took that care and she hurled it at God. She cast her care upon God. And God looked down with an open ear and with an open eye. Though she had suffered in the past because of the adversity of her situation. And though a certain amount of scorn had come, it finally built up inside of her. Her tears had collected for years, and she decided, I won't bottle up these tears anymore. And she just cast them all out on the altar, and wept and cried and prayed and sought God to the point in which she could not even speak. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in that condition before. I have a few times in my life. There have been some things that have come and bothered me so badly. I remember... A good friend of ours that I grew up with in Houston, Texas, I, I saw my friend who was coming to our church, though he never was filled with the Holy Ghost, saw him injured in a car accident, a truck accident it was, Hyman St. Clair. And I remember going to the hospital in the middle of the night with our pastor, Brother uh, W.E. Fuller, that was with us back in the fall of the year. And we went to the hospital there, and Hyman's head was cracked like a broken eggshell. And I remember his mother that I'd known for years. I remember her meeting me in the hallway before we get to Hyman's room. She came up and she grabbed me. I mean, she literally grabbed me. She just forcibly grabbed me like this. And she said, Brother Grant, she said, she said, you know, I, I trust in you and you're a praying man. And she said, Hyman's not ready to meet God. She said, whatever you do, don't let him die and burn in hell. Just don't let him. She said, I, I'm depending on you. Well, I sought the Lord and prayed. To our bitter disappointment, Hyman slipped into eternity that night. I remember how broken hearted I was as a result of that. I remember going to my bedroom and kneeling down and I don't know, he was such a close friend. I went to high school, went to high school with him, went to junior high with him. I played with him a lot of Sunday afternoons and then later rode bikes with him and 
And now he's he's dead and not much I can do. But I remember the sorrow that came over me. When he was there, I remember the I remember how badly I felt for the sake of his wife and his children. And of course his own soul because he wasn't right with God. You know, that's a that's a deep sorrow when you're dealing with friends and then of course your own flesh and blood. You know, some of you will be seeing friends and relatives this this Christmas that unless God really saves them, uh, one of these days they're going to die lost. They are. And they're going into a devil's hell to burn forever and forever and forever. Friend, that's a long time. It's a long time. A place where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. You know, if there's anything I want to do in this life, I want to see souls saved. I really do. And I would suggest that before they get in a coma like Hyman was, that you find a place in which you can take that care and hurl it at God. Find yourself a place to pray and say, God... Don't let my father die lost. Don't let my mother burn in hell. God, save my kindred. Give me wisdom so that when I go to their home this holiday season, that I'll be able to to witness to them and talk to them about God. Don't let me be a religious bigot that goes in there with a know-it-all attitude. But let me be humble and let me be godly. Cast that care. Cast it at Him. Praise God. I've got a son that's not living for the Lord right now. and It's, it's really bothering me. It's bothering me a lot. I remember only a few months ago, and, and uh, not really for sure what all happened to this, this boy. Uh, was coming to church very faithfully up until about June or the latter part of June. But uh, I remember him going into waywardness. And I remember talking with uh, his precious wife, Lori, and counseling with her and talking to her. I remember the day in which I came into this church and knelt down right here, and I began to pray for him. And uh, when I really prayed for him. I don't know if Lori's here tonight or not. But... Uh, Back here, Lori. But uh, I went to Lori later and I said, you don't worry. I said, uh, I believe that everything's going to be all right. And I told her what I thought was going to happen. And you know the reason why that I, I felt it? Because I no more than hit the altar. And I realized how small I was. And I realized how big God was. And I began to tell God, God, you can do everything. And I took that care of mine and I hurled it at God. I cast it at God. And I began to speak in a heavenly language with moanings and groanings which cannot be uttered. The Spirit maketh intercession, for we know not how to pray. I was so brokenhearted. So, I... uh, I felt that his job was such a detriment to him. And I remember praying in the Spirit while my mind was praying. 
I, I couldn't understand what I was saying. I got right down to the point where I couldn't talk. All I could do was just weep and sob and cry. Now, I'd bottled up tears for some days about that situation. But here I let them all out. And when I got up from the altar, I had such great assurance. And I went to Lori and I told Lori, I said, now, it's going to be all right. I told my wife exactly what was going to happen. Would you believe that the very next day he gave me a call and he said, Dan, I lost my job. I didn't tell him this, but inside I was saying, thank God, I knew you were, son. I knew it. I knew it. And then, just a few days later, was knocking on my door and saying, Dad, I, I want to come home. I want to, I just need to come home. While he's not in church, I would like to say this, and please forgive me if you think that I'm talking out of turn tonight, but I say this because Lori needs a miracle, the Manleys need a miracle, and I need a miracle. I really think the answer is I need to go back. And what God has started, I need to take and take my care again and throw it at God. And find the tears flowing. I don't need to bottle them up. I need to let them go. I'm really needing that. You know what happened to Hannah after she had unleashed all those tears? She went straight back home. And she conceived. God immediately came down. It seems like when there's heaviness and a brokenheartedness and contrition, God just can't stand it. While some things may try your patience, and you can't just always just mechanically do this. There has to be something moving inside of you. You can't just fall down on your face and pray an intercessory prayer about anything you want to pray about. Because there has to be that grinding inside. There has to be that bottling up for a while. It's got to be there. And some of you have wayward children. And I would suggest that you continue to pray. But when you feel this that everything is bottled up inside, you need to unleash those tears. <sighs> Psalm 56, verse 8. Thou tellest my wanderings. Put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? Now the psalmist had reached a very, very low ebb. He'd wept and cried and prayed and such. This man, David, is a man's life or had a life that really touched my life. He saw so many sorrows and yet so many great victories. 
Now, it appears that he's making reference to an oriental custom. Now, the oriental custom had creeped over into the Middle East in this particular area. What happened was that they had a belief or a teaching that they needed to collect tears into a bottle. And when they died, now these were only righteous tears. They were not tears of sorrow. In other words, if, if a person had made a mistake and uh, he was just grieving as a result of the outcome of the mistake, those tears didn't count. But if he was repenting and truly finding repentance in the presence of his God, I say his God, not the God, but his God, and while those tears would flow, he would be very careful to collect those tears in a bottle. And over a period of years, he would have a, a tear bottle that was full. Then, when he died, he was buried with his tear bottle. And this was proof to God that he had shed righteous tears, which gave him an automatic entrance into the favor and the presence of his God. Now the psalmist has said, Thou tellest my wanderings. Put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? Question mark. And in other words, what he's saying is, You know every place that I've gone. You know everything that I've done. The Lord knows the steps of a man. There is no place that you can go, nothing you can do, that God doesn't see you. And this is what he's saying. Now I have cried a lot of bitter tears of repentance. Now I could do like everybody else and collect my tears in the bottle. But he said, I'm serving the Almighty God. And he says... Written down somewhere in the historical books of God's library are every tear that I have ever shed. God knows all about it. And I really believe that that's true. And the reason why that I believe that it's true, the prophet Isaiah prophesied concerning something that seems to be of great importance. Isaiah the 25th chapter, verse 8. Now he's speaking of the kingdom age that was to come in which the Lord would reign and rule. Now this is not eternity. Evidently, this is the millennium that he's speaking of. Now, notice what he says here in verse 8. He will swallow up death in victory. And the Lord will wipe away all tears from off all faces. And the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off of all the earth. For the Lord have spoken it. 
Now that's talking about the kingdom age. Now in the book of Revelation, we also find the eternal age that God sets up in which all of His children will be gathered home. Now if you read with me in Revelation 21, verse 1 through verse 4, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and shall be, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. Isn't that going to be great? When you can really walk and talk with God. You know, we sing the song, And he walks with me and he talks with me. And of course we talk about the garden and how that we really walk and we talk with the Lord. Now we do it in a spiritual sense. Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Jesus Christ is right here in this building tonight. You see, He is not looking down from some far off world at your contrition or your broken heartedness or your heaviness. He's right here with you, ministering to you, talking to you, leading you and directing you. I really believe He's here. You see, I'm not preaching for Him. I'm preaching with Him. You're not living for Him. You're living with Him. This is the reason Paul said, My life is not my own. But it's Jesus Christ. Why? Because He lives in me. Praise God. And we don't just go out passing our tracks for Him. We pass our tracks with Him. We don't go the rest home for Him. We go the rest home with Him. We don't pass the prayers on the prayer chain for Him. We do it with Him. Praise God. Because He's with us. This is all in a spiritual sense, however. And the spiritual is just as real as the physical. However, being we are physical, sometimes our faith grows weak because we cannot see it with our eyes. But there will be a day in which we will literally hold hands with Him and walk with Him and talk with Him. Now notice what verse 4 says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. You see, if there is, if there are no tears that are released, over the sad, sorrowful conditions that you are involved in, there can be no comfort through the wiping away of those tears. The Bible says, And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Listen, that's going to be a great time, isn't it? Oh, thank God. I'm looking forward to going and being in the presence of the Lord. Now, you can have the world, and you can have the things of the world, and you can be worldly if you want to. Nobody has the power to make you do otherwise. But as for me, I want to draw near to God. God's been good, too good to me. He's heard my prayers, the lonely hours in which I've sobbed and wept. And taken those tears that were bottled up and emptied them out. God has come down and vindicated me in a moment's time. Really, I, I know how speedily God can answer. I remember one time in Shawano, Wisconsin, and we were looking for a job and couldn't find a job, and things weren't quite so good. And I'd prayed and sought the Lord, and I'd quit my job because 
I thought the Lord wanted me working full time, and we had a loss of membership. It was a new church. You just get some people that just won't stay with the truth. They don't have their hearts set on living for God. So we suffered somewhat. I remember going down in the basement of the church, and it was dark down there. Dark down there. It was daytime, but the windows were small and some of the rooms had no windows in. I remember going back in the back where the coal bin was, an old coal bin. Sooty old walls and such, and I began to pray. I remember the heaviness that came over my heart. I said, God, now my children are going to school and I need to buy some clothes and we don't have any food upstairs. And, and all of a sudden I began to just cast my care upon him. I mean, I hurled at it, Jesus. Now, here I am. Now, I thought I quit my job because you told me to. I don't really know if you told me to. I, I'm questioning everything right now. I don't even know why I ought to be here. But, Lord, here it is. I'm going to cast it upon you. And I wept and I cried. And I remember while I was sobbing and weeping and crying, I remember I heard the mailbox open and close and Normally I wouldn't pay any attention to that, but it's just like the Lord spoke to me and said, now go to the mailbox. I went to the mailbox. Open the mailbox. There was a letter. <coughs> was came from a Sister Nance in Price, Texas. I looked at that and I thought, Sister Nance. <coughs> oh, yeah, I remember who she was. She was my Sunday school teacher when I was a little kid. And her mother, Sister Nichols, and uh, didn't think much about it, but I went upstairs and face was red and my eyes were rimmed with tears. Opened it up and, dear Brother Grant, said, Mom and I were in prayer two days or three days ago, whatever it was, you know. She named the day, but. And while we were praying, the Lord seemed to speak to us both at the same time. That we ought to send you a love offering. Please accept this as being the will of God for you. And then sign their name. Sister Nance and Sister Nichols. And underneath P.S. we will continue to pray. A check then for $100. You see, it seems strange that I didn't. I, I really wasn't that broken hearted when, when she was writing the check out and when the Lord moved. But, but you know, it, it's like the prophet Daniel that prayed. I mean, he prayed and sought the Lord and his answer didn't come when he thought it was, but all of a sudden he got broken up and heavy and the Lord spoke to him and said, Daniel, I really heard you even before you prayed. Isn't that something? I walk the house and praise God. It's a hundred dollars. Gonna put some shoes on these kids, coats on their back, food in the cupboard. God cares. I was young and now I'm old, David said, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. I say, nor his seed begging bread. Now, I have this particular doctrine that I think is totally Bible. 
that if you live the way God wants you to live and you pray the way God wants you to pray, you don't ever have to beg for anything. Because there's a whole lot of people that can hear God. And God can move upon an entire nation to meet the need of one man if he so desires. You see, that's the kind of God that we're serving. In the seventh chapter of the book of Luke, <coughs> the scripture tells us in verse 36, And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. <coughs> and behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner. Now, this is not to be confused with the story of Mary and Martha. All right? When she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. Now, the alabaster box <coughs> was usually saved. Or, not the box, but <coughs> the contents, the alabaster itself, was collected and saved in a box. And it was used largely for burial. Now, it was used for other things, but I think in this particular case that that's probably what it was for. While I have no positive proof of it, I just want to point out something here in the scripture. Verse 38 now this woman stood at his feet <clears throat> behind him, weeping. Now, it appears that what happened when Jesus went in to the house, that he went right in and he sat down, which was the custom, probably with his feet out behind him. And she came and she stood behind him. The Bible tells us <clears throat> that this woman then, took the alabaster box and she broke it. <clears throat> but also the Bible tells us that she began to wash his feet with her tears. Now, <clears throat> you'd have to cry a mighty lot to wash someone's feet with tears. But this is probably because she was a sinner and because she did not know the God of Israel. But because that she had followed so long in tradition, she probably fit the category of the Orientals who bottled up their tears. That alabaster box contained ointment that was to be spread across her body when she died. And those tears were to be placed in her coffin as proof to her God that she was a righteous woman. Here are the tears. But she had prayed and prayed and prayed and bottled up her tears for years. And her answer never came. But here comes the Messiah. And he walks in the house. And he sets to eat. And she brings the two prized possessions 
that lends her comfort in hours of sorrow because those were to be used in her burial. But all of a sudden, she sees something about Jesus that convinces her that she needs to take the alabaster box and smite it and rub it on his body. His body. Why? Nobody really knows that she knew anything about his burial. But you see, the same scripture that tells us that he'll wipe away all tears also tells us that death is swallowed up in victory. And she will take the one who was to die for her and anoint his body with her own ointment. And she was to take the tears that she had bottled up and she was going to take and wash his feet. And then she took her long hair, which was the crowning glory of a woman. It was not until the turn of the 20th century that women began to bob their hair short. It was the custom in the days past, even in America, in which the hair was really known as the glory of a woman, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians eleven fifteen. Her hair is given to her as a glory. But she began to rob herself and humble herself at the feet of Jesus while he was facing the other direction. She opens her bottle. This was her only hope that her God would justify her in death. And she pours her own tears on his feet. And she begins to wash his feet. She takes her crown in glory and she begins to rub and dry his feet. She breaks her alabaster box and she begins to anoint his body for his burial. What do you think this sinner woman was really doing? The tears that she had bottled up all of her life that meant so much to her. She took really what she was doing. She was casting her cares upon the Messiah. And some of you have bottled up tears inside of your bosom for years. Friend, those won't do you any good when you die. You need to leash them out. Let them flow. You need to pour them out on the altar at the feet of Jesus. Why? Because he's keeping track of all of them in the book of life. And you need to take your cares and you need to cast them at the Lord. And you need to lie there in contrition and humility. What is your need tonight, brothers and sisters? Is it the salvation of a child? Is it the healing of a loved one? 
Is it the salvation of a mom and a dad who doesn't walk with God? What is your need? Maybe it's a financial need. Maybe it's a healing of a body. Who knows what your need is? But I feel under the direction of the Holy Ghost tonight that Almighty God is kneeling someplace. And all He wants you to do is walk up to Him and unbottle those tears and pour them on His feet. And take all your pride, your crown and glory, and minister to Him. And cast your cares at Him. Why? Because He cares for you. Oh, I feel the power of the Holy Ghost ministering here tonight. Somebody needs to open the bottle of their soul. Put out the cart. Put out the stopper. And let the tears flow at the feet of the Redeemer, the Messiah. You've got problems that you can't cope with. Situations that you can't deal with. Pressure's pushing you down. There's a grinding inside of your mind. Emotional strains and stresses are there. The answer is, unbottle your tears and put them at the feet of Jesus. Hello, Mahusha Karandalamat. You need a job? Maybe you haven't really reached the place where you could just unbottle your tears. You need a healing? Maybe the grinding's been there, but you just haven't really reached a place in which you could pour out your soul. You need the Holy Ghost. You haven't yet received it. Maybe you're not willing to strip yourself of your crown and glory and mix your pride with your tears. Maybe that's the problem. But you see, the prophet of old said, a broken heart, and a contrite spirit, God will not turn away. If you want a quick answer, you can get it with tears. Would you stand with me at this time? Yes,
This is a very simple message that came from God. But God wants it simple for a reason. Several people are bringing their cares and casting them at His feet. What is your need tonight, friend? Maybe we have someone here who never started a walk with God. This is a good night for you to start your walk with God. God has a table spread for you to dine at. Why don't you come on right now and give your heart to Him? Come on right now. In a few moments we'll start praying for the sick. Anyone who is sick here tonight will pray for you. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. <coughs> oh, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Thank you. 